Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, take your Bible this morning and open with me to the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John. John chapter 4. We're in a series entitled, Love, Good News to Believe and Receive Eternal Life. And today, we come to a passage about living water. I want to talk about living water. I had the opportunity to speak to some college students who were engineer majors yesterday. And several of them talked about their work in the country of Guatemala. And Guatemala is a country I've done some significant work in and been there several times. And so it piqued my interest. And I said, what are you doing? He said, well, for the last four or five years, our project with Engineers Without Borders has gone into the country. And we're digging wells in remote regions so people can have clean water to drink because when you drink clean water just drinking clean water helps to take out a lot of illnesses and normal struggles that they have because of their water supply and so they had dug the second well in this one city they were preparing to go back and commission it into service but he said as soon as they finished digging it and they had put in these long uh, supply pipelines and a big tank to hold it in the people wanted to immediately turn it on and start to use it they said no no no, you can't do that You can't do that because we haven't put a filter on it yet. And if you don't have a filter on it, the water coming out of the tank, you know, uh, especially initially until you flush it out, he said, it's dirty too, but you've got to be able to filter it so that it is clean when it gets to you. And he said that was a hard concept for them to originally understand because they were just used to taking buckets down to the river and scooping water directly out of the river for their drinking water and all the water that they used on a daily basis. Clean water makes a difference, doesn't it? And that's what we're going to talk about today. A water that makes a difference in a way like none other. Like none other. Jesus is living water. I'm going to work through the first 26 verses as I introduce today's message and really just talk about the setting of what's taking place in this conversation between Jesus and a Samaritan woman. Let's go to verse 1. As I read, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Jesus was in the southern region of Palestine known as Judea where Jerusalem is located. The center, if you will, of his beginning ministry. And he was going to travel to the far north region of Galilee where we've already seen his first miracle of turning water to wine occur. Well, Everywhere Jesus went, a cloud of chaotic dust was kicked up behind him as the Pharisees pursued him and the religious leaders were trying to take him out because he was stealing their fame and he was stealing their own glory and threatening their power. 
And because John the Baptist, who was formerly on the number one hit list for the religious leaders, was waning in his popularity and Jesus was rising, Jesus took over the spot number one. They wanted to take him out. Jesus knew it was not yet time for him to lay down his life. And so he continued to move about. And this cloud of dust, of confusion, chaos, and criminality, if you will, continued to follow him. He came to this well in, Gal- in Samaria because he had to pass through Samaria to get to Galilee. And that's the setting for where we find ourselves in this story. Verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where did you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. This woman comes to the well. It's a Samaritan woman and Jesus says to her, give me a drink. Now, it's hard to completely explain all of the nuances of what's taking place here. But suffice it to say that there are multiple barriers that represent every conceivable division in society between these two persons. The first ones that she addresses are some of the biggest ones. Number one, you're a Jewish man and you're asking me, a Samaritan woman. It was culturally not appropriate for just any man to address any woman openly in their culture. But more than that, it was a complete wrong thing to do for a Jew to even perceive of conversing with a Samaritan. That's why John puts in here that no Jew would actually talk to a Samaritan. Verse 9, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Remember, John's writing to the Jews here. So to say he's getting under their skin might be an understatement of exposing these barriers that society and culture has built that keep people separated from one another and more importantly, fortify them in their own thinking, in their own perspective about reality. And what Jesus does is, friends, he just obliterates those barriers. He will not let them stand in his way. Why? Because the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ finds no barrier that this world has built, that it does not obliterate, that it might redeem the people on the other side and on this side. And that's what Jesus is trying to do here. That's what Jesus is saying to her. And so as the conversation continues and she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from a woman of Samaria. And Jesus says, if you knew who it was that asked for a drink of water, you would have asked him for a drink and he would have given you 
living water. You see, Jesus continues to walk this conversation from a surface level to a deeper, ultimately spiritual level. And that's what he's saying here because what he says to her is it's not just about a water to quench your physical thirst, but what I offer is water that will quench your eternal soul's thirst. And that's what he's promising to her. And she understands that this conversation has moved to a level that's beyond just what's going to come out of Jacob's well. But where they are is so important. And so she says to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? And here's how we know she knew more was going on. She said this, are you greater than our father Jacob? Remember where they are there at Jacob's well. This is a place that the Samaritans found their religious identity in. In Genesis chapter 12, we hear that God will command his people to find a place where they will meet with him. When they are to cross over the Jordan River, go into the promised land, God says, I will show you the place that you will meet with me and you will come and you will bring the articles of worship and you will bring the animal sacrifices of worship and there at the place that I anoint with my presence, you will meet with me and you will worship me. And God went to great extent to teach his people what true worship was all about in that. But listen, as we so often do, we take what God gives us and we use it the way we want to use it, right? Instead of using it the way God provides it, we use it the way we prefer it. And that's what had had taken place. Because when they crossed over the river, some of the tribes didn't cross with them, but took as their inheritance land on the other side. And through the generations, the Samaritans, who were actually Jews, but from a tribe that the others did not recognize, and therefore they had built barriers, and those barriers allowed them to become to believe about them that the Jews were better than the Samaritans. But the Samaritans wouldn't just have for the bigotry of the Jews, they had to create their own bigotry to live in, and so they found their own place, they developed this place that Jacob had dug the well, supposedly, they put their idols and their own religious religious ritual on it and made it something from God and this is where they worshiped God so they too could look down on the Jews that's a really short synopsis of a lot of history and a lot of baggage that's in this but these are deep questions and Jesus is going to go to the very core to deliver the central truth of God's revelation to them And so he says, Jacob gave us this well, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus says, yes, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. What Jacob gave to you has supplied some provision for your life. But it's not the provision that I'm talking about. I'm talking about a deeper thirst within you. And she says to him, I want a drink of the living water. And just at that moment when it seems like this conversation is about to wrap up and come to a good point and a close, here's what Jesus says. Good, now go get your husband and bring him. Look at verse 16 with me. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. 
Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive perceive that you are a prophet. Now, pause there for just a moment with me because we move ever so slowly into increasing depths of the conversation here. Jesus makes this abrupt shift and it seems as though he's changing the conversation totally. But what he's doing is he's demonstrating the true depths of what he is saying to her. This isn't just about you, but it's about God and it's about what God wants to do in your life. And so he brings up what we will later learn is the shameful condemnation by which she lived her life. He says, you you don't have a husband, do you? Matter of fact, you've had five, and none of them have worked out very well because the sixth one that you're living with now, it's not going very well. And this woman understands what Jesus is saying. Let me tell you why. Because this was the very cloud of shame, guilt, and condemnation she was living under. This was the way this woman had defined her life Her whole identity was wrapped up in this statement that Jesus says to her. You know how we know that? Because just a few verses later in this chapter, she'll go back into the city and her testimony that she'll tell the people is come and see this man who told me everything that ever happened about my life. Everything that this woman understood about her life was defined in what Jesus said. You've had five husbands, and not a one of them's worked out. And the one you're with now, it ain't going very well, is it? He told her what she already knew to be true about herself, but what she was trying to get over and get away from. She was terrible in the relationships that defined her life. But she was trying to find a way to get rid of the very things that those relationships had done. You know, you could say, well, that's kind of mean of Jesus, isn't it? I mean, is he kind of intruding there, imposing? No, as a matter of fact, if you won't let God get into the inner recesses of your life, to your failures, to your weaknesses, to your insecurities, to your fears, to your shortcomings, to your sins and your transgressions, if you won't let God and the gospel of Jesus Christ penetrate to the very core of your identity and who you understand you are, he can't redeem you there. This isn't about putting a different mask on that makes you something that you're really not. That's what religion does. We'll get to that in a minute. This is about God going to the very essence of your life and speaking to you at the depth of your being. And that's where Jesus wants to meet you and he wants to tell you something that you are dying to hear. But I'll bring that back in a minute. And the woman says, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now what she says in that is this. A prophet wasn't just a good person. In her understanding, a prophet was a person who spoke for God. He spoke as thus saith the Lord. When a prophet spoke, the people understood, if they believed it was a prophet, that God was speaking directly to them. And so when she said, I believe you are a prophet, she's saying that she believes God is speaking to her. She hasn't yet said that she believes Jesus is God, but she is acknowledging that God is speaking to her. And she says this, 
Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. You see, friends, she's getting to the very things that define her life. Not only her own sin and the own patterns of cycles of addiction and, and, and uh, uh, the things that have condemned her. But now she's talking about the broader narrative of everything that defines not only her but her people. How they understand God. Listen, the way you believe and think about God says more about you. And the way you think about yourself says more about what you believe about God. And that's what she's getting at here, friends. That's why she says, you say that you're supposed to worship on that mountain. And our people say we're supposed to worship on that mountain. So if you're a prophet from God, she says, tell me which mountain. And here's how Jesus responds to her. She's asked this question. Who is God and does he matter to me? Have you ever asked that? You ever wondered that in your heart? Who is God and does he matter? And here's what Jesus says to her. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Now, Jesus isn't taking the upper hand there. He's just acknowledging that the Messiah from God will come from the Jews. That's all he's saying there, okay? That's all he's saying. And he goes on, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus says that the hour for the Messiah to come is here. You see this progressive introduction that he's doing with her? that he's showing to her. He announces that the one who has come from God to save has now come. And God the Father is actually the one who is seeking true worshipers who will worship him in the way that he demands to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. So you see the contrast that Jesus is drawing here between location and ritual versus spirit and truth. Tradition and the way they've always worshipped it versus revelation and the way God is now working among them. God the Father is spirit. And if you want to worship him truly, you must worship him in spirit and in truth. Let me ask you, who is spirit and truth? This is a very good time for you to rely upon that Sunday school answer and just say Jesus. Because that's the truth. Jesus is the truth who came from God and took on flesh. And in his ministry, he will give to us the spirit through which he works and abides within us. We relate to God and we live out of his power in this world. That's why he's saying God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. 
And the lady says, I believe the Messiah is coming. But what Jesus wants her to know is that it's not just that the Messiah is coming, but that the Messiah is here. You see, friends, the Messiah and believing that God sent someone to save is not just a knowledge for us to have, but it is a person in which we place our trust to believe and to receive the life that he gives her. And so Jesus tells her that the Messiah come from God is not only coming, but now he is here. And in fact, he is the Messiah. I find it interesting that this is the only time outside the trial of Jesus that he publicly and personally announces himself as the Messiah from God. Let me just keep building the stage. I'm not sure that, that the whole setting of this story isn't more important than even trying to work out the application of it. Because, because what Jesus says to her is so potent, it points directly into each and every one of us. Jesus, John is writing this to tell us, Jesus, one time, will publicly say, I am the Messiah of God. Now, who would you believe that he would most likely want to say that to? Why didn't he go to the high and exalted of the religious world and tell the Pharisees and tell the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders who knew so much about the promise of the prophets of days gone by who were anticipating and studied those scriptures. They were the cultural elites. They were the religious elites. They were even the political elites. These were the people in positions to influence others. God, why don't you just tell Tell them that and then let them worry about telling all the others. Well, I think Christmas is a great time for us to remember this. That when God came into the world, he came as a baby almost unbeknownst to everyone in the world. Except for those to who he revealed himself to. And so when Jesus reveals himself to a person, he chooses a Samaritan woman. A woman that the Jews would not have even valued her very life. But I'll argue this. This was a woman that the Samaritans wanted nothing to do with. Because of her abysmal record of immorality, the Samaritans really didn't love her either. The whole reason that she was likely at the well at the noon hour, you don't draw water in the heat of the day. You've already needed water by the heat of the day. You draw water early in the morning before the sun rises or late in the evening after it falls. But you don't get out and do your hardest labor in the heat of the day. Why was this woman at the well in the heat of the day when nobody else was there because even the Samaritans culturally and socially have said we know you're kind we don't want you around us you do your business somewhere else this was a woman who didn't even have a home and a family among her own and this is the one maybe you would consider it Scraping the bottom of the barrel, so to speak, of people, of culture, of society. And that's who Jesus went to first and only to tell 
God has come to save you because he loves you. That's the scenario that we're dealing with here, people. That's what God has done. And how powerful the message that Jesus is God's Messiah who is here to save people from their sin. Now this conversation can be hard because it, it, take, it seems to take different rabbit trails. But what Jesus is doing is he's not just putting forth a simple statement for us to go, oh yeah, I believe that and be able to dismiss it by the time we get to the lunch table, right? What Jesus is doing is he's showing us the depths to which the revelation of this truth really applies to your life. That's why he says, go get your husband. He wants her to think about her life and the way that she's lived trying to deny the failures and the condemnation and the guilt and the shame that she's felt. And Jesus says, see, I don't want to just give you something that's a light, hearty wahoo at lunch. I want to redeem you at the core of your identity, at the very center of your being. I want you to know this. And what I want you to know is that God has come for you. The best way to understand this passage is in this statement that Jesus is the Messiah and that the Messiah, the promised savior from God is Jesus. Let me just explain that a little more so you understand. Jesus is the Messiah means that God has come to us in Jesus. So the scriptures tell us of God's promise. The scriptures tell us that God wants to save, that he will send someone who will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And Jesus is the one who has come. But when you move from Jesus is the Messiah, which we see that this lady has already acknowledged to to a great extent, she's understood how it is that Jesus fulfills some of the scriptures but there's one more aspect Jesus is the Messiah but the Messiah is Jesus you see when we say that Jesus is the Messiah we're faced with the reality that the gospel confronts us with that if he is the Messiah then he is the only one who can save therefore believing unto salvation moves us not just from an intellectual understanding or a knowledge that we hold Hold, but rather it moves us to put faith in a person in whom we trust and will believe. You see, what John is teaching us through the gospel is uh, through this story, and what Jesus is saying to this woman is that knowledge of God must become believe in Jesus in order to receive eternal life. And in so doing, we enter into an all encompassing personal relationship with God. Salvation, friends, means that, one's be- that one believes in Jesus in order to receive eternal life by His Spirit and to worship God in spirit and in truth. Let me dial this in a little more. If you come to church and you go through the rhythm and routine, shoot, you even sing some of the words of the song, man. God's got to be impressed with me. But when you walk away, you've done something for God in your own mind, in your own heart. This is nothing more than a Jacob's well to you. This is nothing more than a place for you to come and fulfill your religious obligation with. This is nothing more than a ritual. This is nothing more than an exercise. You can believe that Jesus is the Messiah and you can walk away from here farther from God than you've ever been. 
But the point of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the point of this narrative today for us is to say this, that if you say you believe Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is standing before you today to say this, will you trust that the Messiah is Jesus? That he is the only one that can save you? That you cannot continue in the cycle of self-salvation. You cannot continue diving deeper into sin's condemnation and guilt and believe that the same exercises, the same rituals are in some way all of a sudden going to produce something different that they've never produced before you can keep coming to the well to drink but what you need to understand is the well is only a representation of what God really has for you in Jesus Christ and he wants to provide for you not only in this life in the physical realm but he wants to bring life to you from within that is eternal that's what it means to understand Jesus as living water and what John shows us here is this He tells us that Jesus sources a spring of living water that wells up within us when we believe in him. That's what I want you to walk away and understand today. I want you to believe in Jesus because Jesus sources a spring of eternal life within us when we believe in him. I want to point out three truths today for you to move from this understanding of Jesus is the Messiah to the Messiah is Jesus. In other words, not only an intellectual understanding of God and what he's done for you, but based on faith for you to believe and enter into a personal relationship. And if you are living in that relationship as a Christian today, I want to press you ever more deeply from where you are to where God wants to take you. I want you to know that Jesus comes in a moment of truth right now to reveal himself to you, to lead you from where you are to where God wants you to be ever more deeply living out of the eternal supply of his living water. Are you ready? The first truth I want you to see is this, that Jesus sources life with an eternal supply. Jesus' water is not like any other water. Neither water that we drink nor the other substitutes that we offer for God. He contrasts, Jesus does, the water from the well with the living water that he gives. He says this, Jacob's well is a temporal supply. Nothing water, nothing wrong with drinking water out of the well. Even Jesus was thirsty and wanted a drink, right? Not the only time Jesus was thirsty, was it? I can remember distinctively another time that he thirsted and they offered him something other than water. It was when he was on the cross. Jesus was a man. He was a person. He had come from God and he was thirsty. And he didn't say there was anything wrong with drinking the water from Jacob's well. But what he's getting at is believing in some way that water could do something more than just quench your initial and immediate thirst. But the water that Jesus offers does so much more than quench just an immediate thirst. It quenches an ultimate thirst. It's distinct from the world's water because it is living water. And what John does is he raises all of the insinuations and and understandings of these barriers that the culture and that the world has raised in order to justify ourselves by isolating us from people that aren't like us how quickly we do that right and the biggest barrier that Jesus uh, uh, that Jesus addresses here is the root of so many of these barriers it's the barrier of religion it's the way we understand God it's the way that we relate to God and he says that Jacob's well 
was meant to be more than just a water source and it represented the Samaritans' religion and how they understood God. But Jesus comes and he transforms our understanding of God by obliterating what we've reduced to ritual dependency and replaced it with personal relationship. Some of you are sitting in the room today and you are worshiping a personal God. You've put your faith in Jesus. You've repented of your sins and you're not perfect, but every day you live in such a way where where you seek to turn away from your sins and submit your life to God that the life God has lived within you and given you would be more and more what is true of you. But some of you are in here today and you're singing the same songs, you're going through the same words and it's just like a drink of water from the well. You walk away, you're gonna be thirsty an hour later. What is the difference? The difference is this. Some of you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, but you haven't bought in and put your faith in him as your Savior. And that's what he's telling this woman at the well. That's what he's telling each and every one of us today. There is no barrier that will keep you separated from God in Jesus Christ. Every barrier that Jesus crosses, both culturally, socially, religiously, politically in this story, shows us the gospel's power to transform completely. For the rituals of sacrifice were never meant to save. We know this from Hebrews chapter 9 and 10, that even in the Old Testament, when people were going through the rituals of sacrifice, they themselves knew this wasn't God's final plan, but it was God's regular reminder of how he would send a perfect lamb to Forgive them of their sins. But you know what? You get so caught up in the ritual and the routine. You get so busy in the activity. And what happens? You forget to look to the one it's pointing you to, don't you? Man, you just day in and day out, you go through the same things. And busyness becomes one of our greatest idolatries. Not because it explicitly carries us away from God. But implicitly and subtly, little by little by little, we find ourselves drifting from God. Depending upon Him less. Depending upon ourselves more. Trusting what we can do. Denying or just forgetting and neglecting what God has already done for us. And when we become so consumed with God's provision and forget to look to the one who is the provider, we end up in dead ritual and dead religion. And religion substitutes for the true worship that God intends and deceives us every time in the routine and the activity that distracts us. And then we forget to look to the one who is our real salvation. And so often we come to that proverbial end of ourself, the end of our rope, and we wonder where God is. You know where God is? He's sitting on the well <laughs> waiting for us. God is the knot at the end of the rope, right? That's where he is. He's waiting on us. Jesus says he gives living water that provides a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I want to help you visualize this understanding this morning. Would you, would you put that picture of Mammoth Spring up? Some of you are familiar with Mammoth Spring. It is the second largest spring in the state of Missouri that's not in the state of Missouri. It's four miles the other side of the state line in Arkansas, in Mammoth Spring, Arkansas. The reason they call it a Missouri Spring is because all of the aquifers that supply it run out of Missouri, come up out of the water, right? Some, as far as 40 miles away, supply this spring. This spring 
It's so incredible. If you ever drive through there, you just need to stop and spend a few minutes. You have to cross it, so you might as well stop and enjoy it. It provides 234 million gallons of water a day, every day, 365 plus days a year. That's 362 cubic feet per second of water. Friends, you try to keep up with this spring, you're going to drown. I mean, it, it's going to overwhelm you. And you know what? It's not even the biggest spring in the state. It's the second. You know what they call the biggest spring in the state? Real creative. You ready? Big spring. I know, that's overwhelming, isn't it? I, I want you to conceptualize in your mind what God is saying to you through the Lord Jesus Christ. You want a cup of water to try to make it through the day which you know in an hour you're going to be thirsty again? Or do you want God to live in you and to pour out of you like this? Honestly, this isn't even a fraction of what God wants to well up within you with glory, with eternity, with love, with acceptance, with peace, with contentment. That's what Jesus is telling this woman. That's what Jesus is telling us. That when we trust in Jesus as the Messiah, he brings living water that springs up, that wells up to a spring of eternal life. He is living water that continually sources all of our life. And here's how God does it in us now. He sources a life with the glory of God of all eternity. And he sources our life not only with God's glory, but hear me, with the fullness of God in us, in our identity, in our understanding, in the way we understand God, in our joy, in our provision, in our satisfaction, in our meaning, in our peace, in our purpose, and in our contentment from the core of our soul and our heart's deepest desire where he begins. He overflows to every mundane activity with which we go. He's telling the Samaritan woman, woman, even Drawing water is an act of worship when God is alive within you. And that's true of us today too. Our whole life becomes glory, worship to God when Christ is sourcing us from within. The second truth that he shares with us is that Jesus brings us into the presence of God to be true worshipers in all of life. He makes this abrupt shift because if he didn't, you and I would do the same thing she would have done. She would have walked away from the well, talked about a great experience with a good man, but missed the very message that Jesus was saying to her. He's getting to the heart of the matter. He wants to speak to her in the very way she understands her life so that he can speak to her at the depths of her life. And he shows her the difference that living water makes. She was so faithful to her religious system, but it was a religious system that was failing her because no matter how right or how faithful she was, it was not making any real difference in her life. Ask yourself this. Is your religious practice making any real difference in the way that you live? If it's not, it's absent of the very one that God wants to fill you with continually. You see, religion 
offers nothing more than a single drink. No matter how faithful or how right you are in your practice, empty religion remains powerless to make you right before God and to make you happy in life. Oh, there may be moments of refreshment, but I tell you, it will only turn to depths of condemnation and shame. You see, here's what religion does. It tells you to run harder and it tells you to run faster if you want to catch God. But what it doesn't tell you is no matter how hard or how far you run, you'll always miss God. Religion demands that you compartmentalize your life. You know why that is? Because it has no way to deal with the shame and the guilt of your transgression and sin. And it has no knowledge or no system for what to do with any glory of success that you might achieve. You see, religion's ugly little secret is that the shortcomings and the sins of our life crush us with shame and guilt because it can't deal with it. And the successes that, 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 and the accomplishments or achievements that we reach also destroy us because it only bolsters pride. It has nowhere to funnel glory. That's what religion does, friends. It looks at us. It condemns us in our ceaseless striving, in our successes, and our higher achievements, while simultaneously it purges us and presses us ever more deeply into addictions, into illicit pleasures and darker hidden indiscretions. All the while, it's multiplying our transgressions because it is powerless to deal with the very engine that is driving these things, and that's the longing of the human soul. Just like a drink of water can't sustain you for an entire day, let alone a journey through a hot, arid, long desert, so religion will always fail to satisfy and sustain your life because it never provides the very essence of your heart's desire. Religion's a dead end because it's powerless to cleanse the heart, to produce lasting joy or peace, or to empower a life of righteousness. But Jesus says, I'm nothing like religion. I'm not the same. For my water does something totally different. God is seeking true worshipers, people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And you see, in contrast to religion's hard running, here's what Jesus says. You don't have to run after God. God is the one running after you. It is God who is seeking true worshipers. You came to this well today, Samaritan woman, looking for a drink. God met you here to give you living water. You came to church today, friend, looking for something to lift you, looking for something to encourage you. Maybe just because you felt like the drink you needed was the obligation you must satisfy. But God was sitting here waiting on you. And he wants you to know he doesn't expect or desire that you would run after him to catch him. But know he's here because he loves you. And that's what Jesus tells the woman. What he tells us today. Are you ready? God knows everything about you, friend. He knows all your worst failures. He knows your darkest thoughts. He knows your worst indiscretions, your sins, the way you have profaned His name, the way you have stolen His glory, 
the very desires that you have. God knows all of that. He knows you better than you do. But Jesus sits with us today to say this. He still loves you. He still loves you. And that's what the gospel tells us. God knows you completely. And yet he still loves you fully. That's what Jesus wanted the woman to know. That's what he wants us to know today. And here's how he concludes his words to her. She says, I know the Messiah is coming. When he gets here, we'll ask him. He's here. The third truth is this, that Jesus reveals himself as the Savior of God, the Messiah, to invite us to believe in him and to receive eternal life. What he says to her is, I want to call you out of a knowledge that can lead you into religion. And I want to invite you into a relationship that brings you into true worship. Worship. Personal relationship with God. Jesus sources a spring of eternal life when we believe in him. I'm going to ask the worship team to return. And here's what I want to set on our minds in prayer before we respond to the Lord. This Samaritan woman defined her life out of the reality in which sin had put her. She returned every day to try and make up for the wrongs, to get past the condemnation, to forget about what it meant, whatever the case may be. She just remained in this ritual. And Jesus met her in the midst of it, and he said this, I'll give you living water that will define every hidden secret of your life and redeem you to bring glory to every part. Will you believe and receive? And that's what God asked us today. Will you believe in Jesus as the living water to receive not just a drink from God, <laughs> a spring of eternal glory that flows out to every extremity of ordinary in your life that even getting a drink can become an act of worship that glorifies God.